Hi everyone, Luke here from The Broken Meeple. Just a quick note about my ongoing Patreon campaign. I hate to ask for money, but if any of you out there wish to support this channel in that way, then please visit the page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple. It's listeners and viewers like you that make this channel what it is today, and even as little as $1 a month goes a long way to going towards the hosting fees and to provide new equipment that allows me to improve the quality of this podcast and the YouTube channel. I want to let you guys in on future top 10 lists as well as let you submit questions and stories for future inclusion on videos and podcasts. So check out the page if you like, but if not, I hope you enjoy the show. So take care. See you soon. This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. Home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com The Broken Meeple Season 2 Episode 21 Long It's a plethora of discussion topics today, as first I will go into what's happening in my life and what plans there are for the future, what games I've played, I'll talk about one or two of those, I want to give a little bit of a roundabout theme versus mechanics based on arguments on Facebook lately, and then I need to talk specifically about what I feel about long games. Hello, welcome to another Broken Meeple recording. Yes, I am Luke Hector and you're tuning into this podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. Quite a fair about to talk about later today and to be fair, my voice is slightly going and my throat is not perfect. So hopefully we'll get through this podcast, but I have been doing a lot of recording tonight for the videos and well, it catches up with you. You kind of need to rest your voice every now and again, but this podcast has been delayed too long. I need to get it out there. So, plenty to talk about later on. First off, what's kind of happening in general with myself and the Broken Meeple? Well, you know, I've been to... I I had to miss Essen. I know I was jealous of everybody who went to Essen. I wish I could have gone, but I hope everybody who went had a great time. There have been other conventions recently, but I was able to, instead of Essen, attend Uncom. This is a one-day kind of gathering of friends-style convention that is run in uh, Ramsgate, I believe. And it's done by a guy called uh, Darius Tryman. I, I probably butchered his name, but you can find him on Facebook. And he's a decent bloke. He and his missus and a few of his other clubmates run this convention. It's open to all ages, although maybe there'll be limits in the future. And you basically just go there and play games and have a couple of drinks while you're at it. They throw on a couple of little mini tournaments. Uh, some play testers might be there. It's a nice little, you know, harmless, very friendly convention. Like I say, convention in parentheses, it's more of a like gathering of friends, but it's still good. And I got to go there and see Michael May again and, you know, his lovely missus. So it was good to at least play some games with them, you know, because half the time we're too busy doing recording and interview stuff when we go to conventions, so it's nice to be able to just sit down and play some games, including the Deluxe Takinoko, which I was uh, asked to bring for that. It was a decent day out, we also did a panel session, uh, top 10 favourite mechanics in games, and, you know, I mean specific mechanics, not just drafting, for example, and Michael May did a video for that on his uh, Two Can Play That Game channel. I highly recommend you go and watch it. The audio is not bad. Bear in mind it was in the convention setting. But him, myself and Darius and his missus sat there and discussed our top 10 favourite mechanics in games. We had some good banter. It was a great laugh. I love doing these. I mean, if if there's conventions out and people want me to come and do top 10s with them, I will say yes in a flash because I love doing top 10s in general. And to do them live with other people who I don't see very often, even better. But it's a great video. Check out his YouTube channel to find out more on that and give it a watch. Other than that, I've had quite a lot of games piling in since Essen because obviously all the Essen releases and various other games that this is out are all starting to flood. So, I mean, just looking at my table here, including stuff I've reviewed and stuff I've recorded... 
you know, we have got Ex Libri, we've got Glass Robe, Bloodborne the Card Game, Innovation Deluxe, Lisboa, Streets of Arkham Expansion for Madness, uh, uh, Mansions of Madness, When I Dream, more Exit games, uh, the Catan Legend for the Sea Robbers that I've been playing. There's a lot of games that have been piling into my house that I've been getting played. They're, a lot of them are great fun. It's certainly busy. Bear in mind I do this by myself. That's a lot of games to get played and a lot of stuff to get reviewed. So there has been a little bit of a, a lull in the amount of content on the YouTube channel lately just because of work as well. You know, work sent me all the way up to uh, Manchester for, you know, a work day and then I've been in London for a couple of training sessions and, you know, we're getting on to audit season. So I've got a lot to do in my current job. So there's a lot going on. I will say it's been a very busy November, but the next two weeks are not going to get any easier, I must admit. But as December rolls on, I feel that things are going to quieten down a bit. I haven't got as many events going on on weekends, apart from a couple of charity events. Uh, for example, Board at Home, the uh, I think the Good Feeling, I think they're called, or Good Home. The charity uh, is you know by Russell Blitz. He's doing another session on the 3rd of December in the uh, coffee shop in Cosham. Uh, go on Facebook and find out more information on that. And this is a great little session, very cosy, very intimate. I get to hang out with him and the Dice Portsmouth crew. I get to teach games to people. And it's just a very nice session. I I give them some charity prizes as well for the raffle. It's very nice. I will be there for the whole session. I hope to see you there as well. So, games that I've been playing that I'm not necessarily going to review it at the moment. First up, I will talk a little bit about Merlin. Merlin is the newest game to come out from Stefan Feld, was also co-designed by Michael Reineck. Now, Michael Reineck, I have appreciated because, for one, he did one of my favourite Euro games, which is The Pillars of the Earth, a very cool Euro game, not dated anyway, and I hear it's getting reprinted, fantastic, yay, come back in the print, get more people playing it. However, it was also designed by mainly by Stefan Feld. People out there will know that I'm very far from a Feldite. It's not that I inherently think his games are bad, they're just not for me. But I still like to try the games because occasionally a good gem comes out. I've got Amerigo still on my shelf. It's probably my favourite of the Feld designs. And like I say, completely dry, complete point salad, complete track heavy. But that cube tower does it for me and I enjoy that game. So I still like to try the Feld games and, you know, there have been pros and cons to a lot of them. But generally, yeah, he's not a designer I gravitate towards. I actually put a mini review of this up on various Facebook groups and it's kind of interesting to see that apart from one or two people that maybe took it a little bit too seriously, everyone was actually quite receptive to it, gave their opinions, gave their debates, said whether they liked or disliked it. It was good to talk about it. And certainly I'll appreciate that the American market is very good at you know discussing these sort of things on groups and I love it to bits. Keep those uh, reasoned debates coming. Don't turn it into flame wars, but keep those debates coming when I post stuff on Facebook groups. It's cool to debate and listen and read you know, whilst I'm at work or at home. So Merlin itself is, well, it's very much a Feld game. It is a dry-as-bones point salad. You have a rondelle in the middle where you're controlling Knights of the Round Table and collectively this Merlin character. You roll dice and you move your Knights and Merlin around this table and land on spaces to do various actions. Collect shields, collect flags, collect building materials, you know, collect various points, collect cards. You name it, there's some way to get points in this game. You can build on a little map somewhere, which is purely there just to get bonuses and points. You can defend your castle from people, which is purely a way to stop yourself getting negative points. You can get flags that give you little special abilities that you can cash in, or you can just hang on to them for points. You can trade in cards with uh, objectives for points. You can get points on certain spaces. There is points, 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 points. It's a salad. It's a feld. You know what it's like. However, it does have a lot of good stuff going for it. First off, it's very pretty. It's very colourful, it looks good on the table, it's very striking, photos of it come out very well. Certainly one of the better looking of the Feld games. Maybe that was Rhinex influence, I don't know. And certainly probably one of the better looking ones that Queen Games has come out with, I'll say that. The components are fine, I mean it's basic dice, basic tiles and basic artwork. We're not talking, you know, stellar here, but it just looks nice and colourful even if the graphic design could be improved a little bit. There were one or two action spaces which we kept getting back to front because it's written out in a way that you would intuitively think, oh, that's what it means. 
problem is the iconography is back to front to what you would perceive it as. So that was a little bit annoying, but a minor niggle. It's very short, you know, it only took us about uh, 75 minutes with three of us, including explanation. That's pretty quick. You know, this is a 90 minute game, possibly with four players. So, you know, as long as you don't AP like crazy. So definitely quicker than a lot of Feld games. I'll give it that. There are one or two issues I do have with it, though. You know, it's easy to learn, quick, looks pretty. Um, the problems I have with it, and this is what got a little bit of flack, and this will lead into my discussion topic in a minute. But firstly, it's very luck heavy. You're rolling dice to move these knights, and you might, it doesn't matter whether you roll high or low, it depends entirely on where your knight is at the time. You may just roll numbers that completely mess up your strategy or mess up your turn. And, you know, other things you've got luck, you've got luck of drawing objective cards, you've got luck of starting resources, you've got luck of which, uh, like, enemies you have attacking your castle you know are they on shield are they going to get blocked by shields you already have or are they going to be on areas that you've got to work your butt off in order to get stuff it's very luck dependent however it is a short game so it's not quite as bad as some other games which have too much luck for longer affairs so it it's mitigatable to an extent but you are going to have to accept that sometimes luck will just hose you and there's nothing you can do about it i also wasn't a fan that it was somewhat punishing if you don't do certain things, you might lose a couple of points here and there. That's not a problem, but people might just completely screw you over because you just happen to be where they need to be. In a two-player game, it's not a problem. You're going head-to-head. But in a three- or four-player game, you get to points where you just feel victimized because you've gone out of your way to get these, you know, Excalibur or the Grail or a few other bits and bobs, you know, put influence tokens here and that, and people just come along and kick your stuff off because you're in their way. Doesn't even matter if you're in the lead, you're just in their way. And this game is difficult to recover from. There's a little bit of a runaway leader issue that if you're doing really well, your chances are you're going to win because you've already got lots of stuff. You've got the flags, you've got the shields, you've got stuff on your board that you can do stuff with. But if you get kicked off a lot of stuff and you've got to build back up, the game doesn't go on long enough for you to build up effectively. So if you're getting neutered by a bunch of people just willy-nilly, you've lost. Pretty much pure and simple. And that's a bit of a pain, but, you know, it's a shortish game at the end of the day. So, despite those flaws, I still enjoyed it and I still thought it was alright. But it's not one that I'm going to seek out much. I'd give it a 6. I don't think it deserves the hype that it's getting. I think that, you know, there are, well, to be fair, there aren't that many Feld games I like. But I think some of his other designs appeal more to Feld fans than this one. But, you know, it's okay. Feld is not necessarily for me. I will... I will, you know, be honest about that. But I went into this objectively thinking, come on, I like Amerigo. Let's see what this one does and rate it on its own merits. And it has some merits. It has some flaws. Take it for what you will. That's Merlin by Steffenfeld and Reinek. Though I am slightly curious as to what influence Reinek actually had on this game. It feels very much like a Feld. I'm not even sure if Reinek did much for this game. Or at least I can't see his stamp on it. Another game I got to try out recently was Noosefort. Um, I'm only going to talk briefly about this because I only really tried the solo mode in it. But this is another Uwe Rosenberg game, which is very much his style. You are getting resources, you're fishing, you're getting food, you're using characters with special abilities, you build buildings. It just has a couple of extra weird bits in it, like, you know, you're clearing forest from your land, like a bit like Glass Road, and you're getting shares that you can dish out, which might earn new points or fish. It's kind of weird. I don't really get the shares part of it, but it's in the game. It's another mechanic. It's got similarities to Glass Road. It kind of feels like a slightly more streamlined version of it, maybe. You don't have the cards that you play. You just have a lot of different building abilities, but having your own small board where you've got a clear forest off feels very like that. It's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, really. But it is pretty streamlined. Not the shortest game ever, but it is an easy game to play. You basically just get a bunch of fish, get a bunch of wood, try and get some buildings out, you know, deal with the fishing shares, and that's mostly it. You have a few ability cards that you can use that suck up a bit of your fish income. You can build a few boats, but it's generally quite a simplistic Euro. Looks nice, not the best artwork in the world, but, you know, things look colourful and you get cool fish and wood tokens. Although the biggest component complaint I have is that you have this little round board that's supposed to be your personal supply because you've got to mess around with reserve and personal supply, which I think is 
somewhat stupid really. I hate that in games because that's just too complicated. It's a bit like the problem I had with the colonists where with that you had to have the warehouse, you had to have the place where you got the resource, you had to have it in your storage, otherwise you couldn't use it at all. It was, yeah, when they start overcomplicating things like that, that really irks me. But here, you have this tiny little circle of board that's meant to represent your personal supply. So you put your tokens on that up to a limit. The tokens in this are way too big for that board. If you've collected a lot of fish and wood, that board is not big enough to hold everything and it should become a mess. They really could have done something a bit more, you know, practical with that. You know, just do without the whole reserve and personal supply altogether and just say if it's in front of you, you've got it. Great. And just set some limits for how much you can store. Perfect. Job done. Streamlined. You know, just a little bit of a niggle. But I enjoyed the solo mode of it. It's very simple. You get through it quite quick. The rules are not difficult to learn. I'm just not certain that this has got the legs. I think this is going to be a flash in the pan for a lot of people. Because... It's got a lot of buzz, you know, people want to try and, you know, they want to try it, it's another Uwe Rosenberg game, but even though it's a fairly simple Euro game by using Rosenberg, I'd rather play Caverner, I'd rather play Lahav, I'd rather play even Feast for Odin, really, although Feast for Odin is a little bit overcomplicated and, you know, not really thematic at all, but yeah, this one's just another Euro game, and that's my kind of issue with it, it doesn't feel unique. There is nothing in Newsford that feels revolutionary or innovative. It just feels like it's another Uwe Rosenberg game with some mechanics that you've seen before. Nothing is particularly new in this. And that's a bit of a problem. I think that some people are going to love it, you know, the Uwe Rosenberg fans, and I like a lot of Uwe Rosenberg games as well, but... I don't think this has the legs to go the distance. I think it's just going to get lost. It's going to, you know, not really get all that hype and buzz justified. I think it's just going to appear and then disappear. You know, maybe played by mostly the German gamers or something. But it's like, it's fine. I'd still give it a, probably a 6 as well. Maybe a 7 max. But I just feel like once I've played it a few times, I suspect I'm just going to go back and, you know, not really care too much. Bear in mind, this is just on first impressions of a solo game, so don't take this as a fully-fledged review. I would like to play it again with some multiplayer you know, games and see what it's like, and I probably will get to when it's on retail release. But, yeah, I just don't see this one going the distance. But we'll see how that goes. That's Newsfraud by Uri Rosenberg. Right, let's get on to a few discussion topics, some that have been interesting debates and some that have just been irking me around the wrong way. First off, a really quick piece, all right? I was, uh, I mentioned the Merlin review that I did, where I was explaining, you know, the review I did on certain Facebook groups, and I gave a balanced review. I said, you know, I mean, it was just mostly text on Facebook, but I gave pros, cons, said what I thought about failed, said what I thought about the game, this is why this irked me and why this didn't. And most people came back and were pretty pleased with it. They gave their opinions. Some of them said, thank you for a good review. You know, you don't have to praise my reviews or anything. I just like the fact that you come by and debate. You know, say whether you like it. Say whether you don't. Tell me why. That's what I'm interested in. But there was uh, one or two people who sort of got a little bit too serious with it and started getting personal. But, oh well, that's the beauty of the internet, unfortunately. You kind of have to put your big boy pants on to deal with social media. But one person in particular had said that the reason that he didn't necessarily watch my reviews was because he felt that I already had preconceptions about the game before I'd waltzed in and it influenced my argument. Now, to be fair, this guy is a Feld fan, so yeah, take that with a grain of salt, you know. It's like somebody doesn't give a perfect rating to your favourite designer, you're already sort of heresy. But let's explain one thing here. When I go into reviews, I go into it as objectively as humanly possible. Now what I mean by this is that one of the things that was said was that he wanted reviewers that basically had no preconceptions about a game before they went in. However, that is not physically possible. If any reviewer out there tells you that he goes into a game, or he or she, you know, there's a lot of uh, really good female reviewers as well, if they tell you that they go into a game with no preconception at all, 100% pure mind blank, they are lying to you. Pure and simple. 
It is impossible for someone to not have a preconception about anything, even if only in the subconscious mind. Take um, skydiving, for instance. I've never been skydiving. I would like to try it. However, despite this, it's jumping out of a plane from a great height. And my preconception, whether consciously or subconsciously, is that it's going to be scary as hell. So why exactly would, yeah, how exactly am I supposed to blank my mind when I go into it? I might go into a skydive, do it and find, oh, actually, that was a breeze. No problem, had no reason to feel scared. Great, recommend it to everyone. That's me being objective with, say, reviewing a skydive. But yes, there's a preconception going in that I think it's going to be scary. You know, that's just normal. And the same thing appeals to games as well. We go, as reviewers, a good reviewer will go into a game as objectively as possible. So they will look at the game, they will evaluate the pros, they will evaluate the cons, they will say why they like this, why they don't like it, you know, and they've got to give reasons, don't just randomly say it's rubbish, you've got to say why you think it, and be an objective as you can. Think of it from a wide scale, you know, who does this appeal to, will it, is it easy to learn, that kind of thing. Talk about mechanics and theme, we'll get onto that a bit later. And, you know, give a balanced review. But we're going to have preconceptions. The Dice Tower admit this. Most reviewers will admit this. It's impossible to not have a preconception. Yeah, I'm not a failed lover, okay? Most of his games I don't like. But that doesn't mean that every time I go into a failed game, I expect to hate it. I go into a failed game thinking, I don't normally like your stuff, but I know your style, so I know what to expect. I expect to see points for everything, I expect the theme to be non-existent, and I expect this to be more about the mechanics. That's my preconception, but I will go and review the game based on it. Not what my preconceptions were, based on it. And Merlin, like I say, I gave it a 6, a high 6. I would still play it, I just won't go seek it out. But... Yeah, a preconception that I'm not a massive Feld lover would assume that I would just randomly hate Merlin. Well, no. If anything, I actually think it's one of my favourite Felds I've played from him. Yeah, it's got that punishing issue and it's a bit luck-heavy, but short, quick, easy, looks nice. The mechanics gelled well, you know, despite the luck factor. I actually think it's one of his better Felds. I prefer Amerigo, but I still think it's one of his better Felds. I'll give him that. So, you know, objectivity is different from having preconceptions, but... This is just a little quick rant. I found that just to be a little bit dodgy. You know, we're going to have this. You know, Bruno Kafala, love the designer. Preconception, I love his games. But he can still put out a bad one. It happens. All good designers can put out bad games and all bad designers... Okay, that's a bit harsh. All designers I'm not a fan of can still put out great gems. That is what exceptions to the rule are for. You know, there are some designers who haven't yet, but then, like I say, it may just be that style of designer. But that doesn't mean that we're just assuming games are going to be A, B, or C purely on a preconception. It's impossible to, you know, Tom Vassell admits it, Sam Healy, you know, uh, Z Garcia, all the other reviewers I listen to admit this. We're going to have preconceptions. It's going to happen. This is why you should watch a variety of reviewers. Don't just hone in on the same one. Get a mixture of opinions. Get different viewpoints. You know, try reviewers with different tastes in games. You know, find the super heavy 18x lover to review this Euro. Also, talk to the one who's more into thematic Euros. Also, find the person to review who doesn't like Euros that much at all. You know, you've got to have a mixture of opinions. Don't just hone in on one person's. You know, if you watch my reviews and you take note of the opinions and what I say about them, then great. Thank you for watching and listening. I appreciate it. But then go and watch other reviewers as well about the same game. You know, when I put out um, a review for Lisboa soon, I'm going to be doing that one. That's coming in the next week or so. Talk to other people who've rated the game. There's loads of people who have reviewed Lisboa. Don't just take my word for it. Review somebody else's as well and make your own opinion. You know, you're going to have preconceptions about the game based on what you know, based on the designer, the publisher. It's going to happen. So get a wide variety of opinions and knowledge. Form your own, make up your own mind. But don't for one minute think that any reviewer out there is 100% pure mind blank, pure objective, no bias whatsoever, because it cannot physically happen. 
It's in your mind, whether you're thinking it or not. We're human beings. This is how the brain works. Hey. Alright, sorry for that little rant. Just had to get that one off my chest. Alrighty, what's next? Uh, okay, briefly, I just want to go into mechanics versus theme. Now, this comes up a lot again during a Merlin discussion, but it's also come up a lot during the reviews I've done, where you've got this uh, side divide between people who are obsessed with mechanics and those who are obsessed with theme, and you've got a balance in the middle. I sit in the middle because I, I'm a big lover of theme, but you know you need mechanics to work the game as well. But you've got some extremists who believe that theme is the most important thing and more more likely you've got people on the extreme side of mechanics or everything and theme is a complete waste of time. I sit in the middle and with good reason because a game can be mechanically sound but unless it's got a theme to engage me I'm not going to want to come back to it that often. Now I do have some exceptions to the rule. Terra Mystica is the biggest poster child I use for this argument. There is no theme in Terra Mystica. It is dry as bones. It is pure mechanics. I still enjoy it. And that's got no theme whatsoever. But I will say, if I've got a choice of Euros I want to bring to the table, Terra Mystica tends to get forgotten sometimes because the theme isn't there to immerse me during this lengthy game. And we'll touch on more of this when I talk about long games, but I feel that mechanics will make you enjoy a game. The theme will make you come back for more. And one of the reasons I play games is to kind of escape from reality. You know, I like solving a puzzle as much as the next person, but I don't want to just play a puzzle for three hours. I want some thematic immersion. Escape from reality, a little bit of role play, a little bit of just light-hearted fun, even if it's a really heavy game. This is why I tend to like a lot of uh, Vitalis Surder's games for Euros and maybe some of the ones like uh, Stonemaier and Uri Rosenberg because 90% of the time they tend to be very thematic games. They can be long, they can be heavy, but the theme keeps me engrossed. I love viticulture. I get to make wine. I like Vinyos for the same reason. You know, winemaking's a theme I like. So I can get immersed in that whilst enjoying the mechanics. I just... I don't agree with the fact that you can just ignore theme. And, I mean, fair enough. If you believe that theme is the only thing or mechanics is the only thing, then fair play. That's, you know, it's your viewpoint, no problem. Freedom of speech and everything. But I just personally think you need both. You know, a game can... If the game is super dry, it's unlikely to immerse someone or be approachable by anyone. But then, of course, if you have just theme and no mechanics, the game will fall apart like, you know, putty and just will not work. But there are great examples of where games have a bit of both and work soundly. Mansions of Madness, is the second edition, is a great example. Mechanically, that game is fine. It has this perfect app integration. It's co-op play. You've got little puzzles. You've got great storyline. You know, the it works fine and the app handles all the bookkeeping aspects. But my god, that theme is super strong. I mean, it's got elements of both and I love the game for it. You know, so having a bit of decent mechanics and a bit of decent theme goes together to make an awesome game. It's harder for one extreme to outweigh the fact that it has none of the other. You know, there are a lot of dry games I'm not a fan of. I mean, take Stefan Feld, for example. All his games are dry. Stefan Feld has not made one single thematic game in his entire life. So anytime I play his games, I'm only playing the mechanics. The mechanics might be sound. But the lack of a theme stops me wanting to come back for more. Merlin is such a weird example because you're supposed to be knights of the round table and controlling Merlin. They are literally just pawns on a rondelle. Why was this theme even chosen? You know, it is so pasted on that you can actually see pictures of the characters holding cubes and cylinders. It's like he's just mocking himself now. It's kind of weird. And the map I mentioned, it's just a hexagonal map, and you can actually build castles on swamps or on lakes. How does that work? You know, it's it's a disconnect. I mean, fair enough, we got a couple of good Monty Python jokes out of that with uh, building the castle and singing into the swamp. <laughs> Fantastic. But, yeah, it's a if it's a thematic disconnect, it can work against the game. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I get if you are one of these people that likes only theme or likes only mechanics, but from where I'm coming from, see it, see what I'm on about that I prefer a balance. You need, I believe, both. It just the, the, Some of the best games that are out there have a good helping of both theme and both mechanics. And yeah, it's a valid argument that a lot of games could be re-themed relatively easily. You know, I'm not saying that themes are so watertight that you can't possibly take the theme out. Although there are a few games I can see on my shelf where I think it would be a little bit difficult to take the theme out, you know, really easily. But yeah, themes can be re-themed. It doesn't make them invalid. It just means that, you know, the theme's either not as tied down to the mechanics, or it just means that that theme was chosen because it works. You know, the, the whole Cthulhu theme, you know, can be re-themed a lot of the times, but people like Cthulhu. It's a great, you know, horror mythos to use. The same goes with Star Wars. And think about it. Take, um, this is the argument I use, the deck building. Deck builders, I like some deck builders, but they are not really thematic games. There's a few of them, but they're few and far between. Most of them are dry affairs, because the whole concept of deck building isn't really thematically tied to anything. But, you put a super dry deck builder in front of me. Let's uh, use Tyrants of the Underdark as a good example. I've played it, it's fine. Bit long, but I digress. And also could use a component upgrade. But that is very dry. The whole D&D theme in it is pretty pasted on. And I'm not a massive D&D fan anymore anyway. So there's that deck builder. Mechanically it's fine. But I wouldn't necessarily go out and seek it. Let's take another deck builder. Alien Legendary. One of my favourite deck builders that there is. Which one is going to grab me more? Both of them are just deck builders at the end of the day. Both of them have fine mechanics. But I'm an Aliens fan. I'm going to instantly gravitate towards that one. And, you know, the mechanics may not be 100% sound, but everything in Alien Legendary works with the Alien universe. The whole chestburster mechanic, the facehuggers, the characters, the art, everything is all aliens. And so I can forgive little mechanical flaws if the theme is strong enough to keep me immersed and give me a sense of escapism and a sense of personal enjoyment. You know, that's why Alien Legendary is such a hit with me. Now, if you have a bone-dry game and the mechanics are flawed, then they stack out a little bit more because the theme isn't there to kind of pull you back from it. And so certain games where the mechanics are like pseudo-knockout or punishing, you know, I mean, a Futang Magnet, yes, I know, broken record, but, you know, I can't stand that game. It's four hours long. It's got no colour. It's got pretty much no art. The theme is a little bit hazy in it but it's like so punishing that the flaws I have with its game mechanics are not pulled back enough by what theme it has in order to save it. Concordia is another example. Looks pretty, easy to learn, easy to play, practically child's play even, but you can get pseudo knocked out if someone buys your cards before you whether you can help it or not and being punished like that and stuff, there's no theme in it to save me. It's just moving guys around on the map and collecting silk. There's no theme. Trading the med never was a thematic scene. So it, that's kind of how it works. I just need balance, mechanic and themes. Give me good mechanics. I want good mechanics. But give me a theme to match. So that's just my perspective on it. I just don't personally think that if all board games were just theme and nothing that it would work because the games wouldn't be, uh, you know, they would just break or they would be unbalanced as anything. But then I also have to say that, and I know this applies to more Euro games and Amerifresh, and I see where they're coming from. They think that everyone just hates Euro games for this reason. Not true. Look at my shelf. Lots of thematic Euros. But yeah, if the game is just mechanics, it's got to work a lot harder to impress. And especially if it's a long game, which we'll get on to. Nice little segue. You can't just give me three hours of a puzzle. It's just not fun. So that's just my little stab on that one. Whoa, I have been talking for a long time tonight, but I hope you've been enjoying my little sort of talks and rants, and I'm interested to hear your opinions on that. We're not done yet, though, because this episode is called Long, and so I want to talk a bit about that one. That was the main focus for this episode, even if other rants might have got in the way. A lot's happened this last couple of weeks. But people 
when I talk online, have their conceptions of what considers a long game and whether they have a problem with this. Now, I have said many times on reviews and in chats that long games are a slight problem with me. Because if a game is too long, I feel that it's outstayed its welcome. I would rather play five good games than just one good game. And people like to use the classic, uh, you know, get out clause of, uh, oh, I'd rather play six, I'd rather play one great game than six mere ones. Well, yeah, obviously, everybody would like that. But let's assume that all the games are equally good. I'd rather play a variety of good games than just one good game. And that's because time is limited, time is precious. You know, most game nights are only three to four hours long. If you're going to play one game for the entire night, that's, you know, I could have been playing lots of other cool stuff as well. And the other thing is, well, firstly, what does uh, constitute long in people's opinions? People think that three to four hours is not that long. Seriously? I want some of your free time, mate, if that is not a long time for you. For me, a game is perfect length when it's between 60 to nine, sixty to 120 minutes. You know, a 90-minute game is like bang on smack in the middle and perfect. It's just long enough not to outstay its welcome, but it's quick enough that you could get it out, teach, and play multiple versions of it in the same night. You know, 60 minutes or less, perfect. I mean, I like micro games. I like short games, filler games, or... Uh, Dream Home, I talked about that recently on Throat Punch Lunch. 30 minutes, if that. You know, nice and quick, great little gateway game. But then I do like some long games as well that go past the two-hour mark. I mentioned Vital Lacerda. Name me a short game by Vital Lacerda. Come on. Every single one of his games is like a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-hour affair, sometimes longer. I mean, I've seen and experienced games of Lisboa, for example, where if it's your learning game and there's four of you, you're going to be there for many, many hours. And like I say, if the theme is that strong and that interesting, length can be mitigated to a point. Because if I'm escaping from reality and really immersed in the theme, then I'm engaged for longer in the game. But if you just give me a flat, straight-out puzzle, no theme, for three-plus hours, it's going to have to be one hell of a game before I'm deciding that I want to be there for that long. And this has got nothing to do with, like, goldfish, you know, attention attention span or something. You know, I can play a game that's long without a problem as long as it's thematically interesting. Vital Lacerda, like I said, um, we'll talk about Lisboa when I do the review, but Vinyos, Gallerist, and Kanban. Love all three of those games. Great themes, interesting themes. All long games. So, even though they're long, I'm engaged for it. Uh... Uh, New Angeles, behind me, uh, the sort of negotiation game, the Netrunner universe, cool theme, you know, you feel like the corporations, the network, Netrunner universe is brought out, it looks great, that's a good three hour negotiation game, but you are constantly engaged through that, there is not an ounce of downtime because you are interested in every conversation, you're trying to negotiate for all these cards, you're thinking about the board state, you're just constantly in it. So even though it's three hours long, it doesn't feel like three hours. And that's where problems with long games come in. They just feel like the length they are because of mostly downtime. Euros suffer from this more because you might be sitting there waiting for your turn to come round. Someone might have analysis paralysis to make it even worse. But sometimes you're just waiting so long for your turn and you've already thought about what you're going to do that all that time is just wasted. I mean, yeah, they say, well, interact with the people around you. Well, yeah, I can do that if I'm down the pub with them having a pint. That's not exactly, you know, unique to the game situation, is it? And if they're too busy thinking about their turn, I'd rather not interrupt them because I want them to hurry up and finish their turn. And a lot of long Euros are long because the downtime is just huge. Some people will disagree, but, you know, problems that I said I had with, you know, Terraforming Mars and Great Western Trail, for example, I feel that the downtime's a bit long in there. Great Western Trail, I could be waiting a while for somebody to hurry up and decide what they're going to do next. And I've already just already thought, yeah, I'm going to go there and do this. Right, done. And then you wait several minutes. You know, Terraforming Mars. If you've got five players in that game, oh my god, you are there for ages waiting for your like drafting bit to come around sometimes. And then whilst everyone's doing actions, you thought, right, my two actions are going to be, I'm going to literally just activate a microbe on this card and play this card for 30 credits. Right, done. That took me five seconds. as you wait forever for it to come back around you. And that's just wasted time. It doesn't need to be that long. And 
if a game can give me the same feeling for a shorter amount of time, I'm instantly going to gravitate to that one first rather than the more lengthy one. I mean, because let's face it, if you can play the same game for two hours or the same game for one hour, which one would you pick? The one or the two hour game? I think most of you would surely pick the one hour one, surely. But I don't know, I digress. There are other means. And some games have been replaced on my shelf or ignored after like trying them out and saying I like them. But mainly because there's a game that gives me the same feeling that doesn't take as long to play or isn't as ridiculously complicated. Now, of course, everybody has different opinions on what they constitute long. Some people don't find three hours to be long, in which case most of their collection is made up of all these really heavy euros. And, you know, fair play to If that's what you like, then go for it. I hope you enjoy them. You know, I'm glad you've got all that spare time because I wish I had it myself. But, you know, there's a lot of people that do seem to like to lie a little bit about how long the game takes. Now, fair enough, you might have a group of people who just don't talk around the table, who literally just take a turn without even necessarily thinking about it, or have played the game 50 times so that the rules are so ingrained in your head you have no reason to even delay it even a second by checking a rule. But, know that you're the exception to the rule here, because a game... Like, you know, like the big heavy strategy ones, the Beatles, the Terraform Mars, the Great Western Trials, and that, they take a long time to play. They are good two and a half plus hour games, for the most part. People claim that they can play Great Western Trail, for example, in 90 minutes with four players. I have never seen that happen. Never. I have seen and been in enough games of Great Western Trail to know that I have never seen a game go less than 90 minutes, except for two players. And even then, those two players knew how to play the game already. Three players have been usually above that. And four players easily past two hours, if not past two and a half. It takes that long. Now, okay, bear in mind, some of that is including explanation time. But let's be realistic here. A lot of the time, you're going to be teaching this to somebody. So I will factor teaching time in because it's relevant. But even then, even if you took the teaching out, it's still not going to be 90 minutes with Great Western Trail. It just has never been. I have been in games. They've never taken that sort. And bear in mind, this is not me being an analysis paralysis here. This is me being in the game, taking my turns and waiting for the turn to come back round. Or the game just being generally long because of the timer mechanic. I mean, Great Western Trail, for example, that timer mechanic on the left of the board takes forever. It doesn't matter how quickly you go around that board. It just seems to take forever. Uh, but, you know, there are other occasions where, you know, people will just, Take their time, and you could be there for a good amount of length. But, you know, I've, I've not even necessarily had to be in the game. I see this game played all the time by other people. Never have I seen it being played in 90 minutes or less, I can tell you that. So, yes, it may be theoretically possible to play some of these games in a very short space of time, but it's not a common thing. It may be a very select group, it might be people who have played the game so often that they know it inside and out, and it may be people who literally, as soon as they sit down to play a Euro, the idea of actually talking to each other is almost outlawed. You know, I have not, I'm not exaggerated here. I have seen and been in games with people like that, where, you know, pretty much anything from talking to smartphone use to various other things is almost like banned at the table whilst they're playing the Euro. And oh my God, they are some of the most boring games I have ever played. Because seriously, I want to interact with you people, not just sit there and play a puzzle. But I digress. So with length, it is very subjective. You know, you're going to have people who will come to play this to be long, this to be short, etc., But from my perspective, do not assume that if a game is long, I'm going to hate it. The game can be long. It just has to be engaging for that entire length. No colossal downtime. It needs to have a theme that is immersive so that even if the downtime is a little high, I can be immersed in it. And it needs to be just an interesting game in general, but also not feel so long that there's no reason why it should be long. There are some games which I just think go way too long. I mean, Terraforming Mars is another one. That game could end sooner than it does. Let's be honest. Whether you love it or not, you've got to admit, you could shave off some time of those, how long it takes for those tracks to level up, and the game would be exactly the same. It would play just as fine. Great Western Trail, like I said, that timer on the left takes forever. You're building up an engine, but you've built up the engine after about 60 minutes, maybe 90 if the game's going a bit long, 
And then you've got to play another 30 to 60 minutes on top of that in, you know, well, like past the two hour mark in order to just keep the engine going. You don't improve the engine. It's just the same engine you've just built. So why didn't it just end an hour ago when you already built up the engine? I don't need to see it turning for another hour. End. You know, try to think of other examples I can think of. Uh, Oh, the colonists. Oh my God. What is it with that game's length? The Colonist is a big Euro by uh, Mayfair Games, and it's another typical you know, resource management build your city Euro. You build your uh, city of places in front of you, you manage resources and various stuff like that. The storage mechanic in it is such a pain, I hate it. But not the, not the game. Uh, the game's alright, but that storage mechanic, ugh, I hate it. But that game is like 7-8 hours long. You can play short games of it because you play it in four eras, but let's face it. The first era is not even worth it. You know, it's basically, I built a shed, the end. That's kind of what it is. So you just, you'll maybe play the first two eras. They will take a fair bit of time. But that third era and that fourth era, they take forever. And if you play through all four eras, particularly if you've got four players, you're talking, and I have seen this in action. This is not just me. I have seen this and people will back me up on this. Seven to nine hours long. Why? Why would you play a game like that for seven to nine hours? You can get that same feeling in every Urin Rosenberg Euro, in every Vitala Cerda Euro, in any game where you build up any kind of city Euro. Why would you play a seven to nine hour version when you have these two hour versions that are still great? It doesn't make sense. I mean, there's no reason it should be seven to nine hours long. If you're playing it, you've got a lot of downtime, the game just never ends, the progression never feels that great. So why do I want to play it for 7 to 9 hours? I don't get it. Hey, Mega Civilization, another one. I tried this out, I bought a copy of it, I thought, oh yeah, great, huge Civilization game. Sounds a bit long, but we'll go with it. Mega Civilization basically translates to a giant deluxe game of Pit, where you're shouting at each other going, two, two, three, I got this, trade cards or whatever. That is literally the game. You move a few tokens on a map, wait for some calamity to destroy it all because you can't trade most of them. I mean, really, why are you trading calamities? And also, how fun is it to play a game for seven hours and then just have a calamity you can't trade completely wipe out your stuff? Yay, fun, yeah? Randomness in 10-hour games, great. But, yeah, that one's like seven to ten hours. I mean, yeah, it can play about 50 people or something stupid, but... Why do I want to play that for 10 hours? A deluxe game of Pit for 10 hours. There's other Civilization games. Through the Ages, even though that's not my favourite. Nations, uh, actual Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game. The new one coming out, Civilization A New Dawn, is supposed to be one that can be done in just 90 minutes. I'll be the first one to judge that. But I'm looking forward to that, because if you can give me a Sid Meier's flavour in 90 minutes, oh, perfect. That'll be a Civilization game I'll go mad for. And that's 90 minutes, let's say maybe two hours, I'll be happy. The Sid Meier's one on my shelf is a good three hours, three and a half. It's a bit long, but I still enjoy it. It's just a pain to teach because I keep forgetting the rules. But seven to ten hours, why? It's too long, man. I get it. This is subjective. I'm not saying that you're wrong to play and like games like that. That's down to you. It's your opinion. Great. Enjoy it. I hope you have fun. But just try to see where I'm coming from here. Length for a game is fine if it's thematically immersive and also interesting and engaging for the majority of that time. You're going to get downtime, yes, but you don't want to be sitting there with your hand on your cheek going, I've already thought about my turn, hurry up! And negotiation games are great because you're always involved. You know, thematically interesting games will have you like talking about the theme and games with less downtime uh, will mitigate that. In fact, last one before I wrap up, um, The Gallerist. I've always said that that's Vital Lacerda's best design because it has the kicked out mechanic. And Lisboa has this as well, but you don't use it as often. And to be fair, I think it actually delays the game more than it actually speeds it up. But in The Gallerist, if you've got the influence, you can do your turns out of sequence. And you don't do like a massive turn. You just take the action and resolve it and most of them are pretty quick. But... It means that you're not necessarily waiting for everybody else to take their turn. You might be able to take your turn, you know, beforehand. And you're always watching the game saying, there's an opportunity here. Maybe I'll take it now. So you're not sitting there going, oh, what should I do now or whatever. Oh, it's back around to me. Great. No, I'm constantly there and I'm constantly engaged. So it doesn't feel like I'm playing the game for three hours. 
So you, hopefully that just gives you a bit of an insight as to what I mean by long games and why I am a little bit hesitant when it comes to whether a game should be this long. Granted, if you can play the game super quick, great. If you like long games, great. You know, this is a diverse hobby. That's the main thing. But that's just the way I feel with long games and I've, I'm starting to lose my voice. So I'm going to start wrapping things up. So I better leave things off as I said, just look out for some great reviews coming out like uh, Lisboa, the city's expansion, the splendor, when I dream, soon there'll be streets of Arkham and innovation deluxe, you know there's uh, great stuff coming, um, if you haven't checked out my recent reviews then you can see Ex Libri, very cool work and placement game about building a fantastical library, very enjoyable. Uh, what else did I review recently? Oh yeah, the Mystic Veil expansion Manastorm. Check out that one as well. And be on the lookout in the future. I will be trying to get two more top 10 lists done as well during December, hopefully. And that will be my top 10 underrated games and my top 10 overrated games. Like I said, I'm all about balance. But these two have been requested. I mean, I've wanted to do these and update these for a while, but it's also been requested by followers as well. So as I say, if you like what you see, please subscribe to the podcast, please subscribe to the blog, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, whichever is your poison for the medium you like to do. And, you know, get in touch with me, leave comments on this, leave comments on YouTube, get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, find my Portsmouth Game Club, find me on Facebook groups, find me at conventions, whatever. I love to talk to you guys, I like to interact with you all, so feel free to get in touch, promise, won't bite. So, that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple podcast. Take care. Remember, it's only a game, and I'll see you soon. And for those of you in America, as I record this on the 23rd of November 2017, happy Thanksgiving. Take care. See you soon. Thanks for listening. You can check out more material from the Broken Meeple at my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook or see my Twitter handle at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, feel free to come along to one of our fortnightly Wednesday board gaming clubs, Portsmouth On Board. Search for us on meetup.com or Facebook for more information. Occasional support for The Broken Meeple comes in the form of review copies of games from distributors such as Estevium Games and from retailers such as Chaos Cards, where you can find great games at great prices at chaoscards.co.uk. Thanks again, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like The Dukes of Dice or Ludology. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.